Morning, family. Happy Christmas to those who haven't seen yet. A long, long time ago, in a distant part of the realm, when robots were still street signs, <laughs> when computers couldn't talk, and when I had hair. <laughs> in those long-off days, I was in, uh, living a different life, and I was invited to go down to the wilderness to speak at a conference of female sales ladies, the top several hundred sales ladies of an organization. And I was given a very clear mandate. Motivate them, get them going. They've got to love the product they're selling, and they must really be excited about it. Okay, so I prepared, and I went down. And when I stood before these, the sea of faces, I could see the total lack of expectation in their eyes. And I thought, my word, I wonder how many conferences these ladies have been to. Every year they've trotted out somebody who says the same thing. Come on, ladies, go get them. So I thought, okay, I better start this in a way that they're not used to. So I'll take a big risk. So kind of see the scene. All these eyes looking at me. And I stood in front of them after I'd been introduced in this kind of a posture. And I didn't look up. And I said this. I'm so very, very excited to be with you today. <laughs> I know we are going to have great fun together, aren't we? And then I started. You know what? I think the Christian message is sometimes presented like that, often presented like that, just dead boring. If it's not boring, then it's viciously legalistic. You know, you've got to do this and you've got to do that, and if you can do the following things, then one day you'll be let into this glorious kingdom of God. Oh, it's sort of pompously pious. You know what I mean by that? Christians tend to almost wring their hands as they walk along with their heads inclined. <laughs> gripping large Bible. <laughs> See no evil, speak no evil, say no evil. Oh, it's crazy intellectual. You know, if you don't know where the dinosaurs came from and exactly how the Trinity of God works, then forget about trying to tell anybody because you don't have the goodies. But the gospel is not that. Never has been, never will be. When the angel appeared to the shepherds outside Bethlehem, the angel did not say, Hi dudes. <laughs> Follow la la la. La 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 la. <laughs> Go to Bethlehem and deck the halls if you want to. The angel said, I've come to bring you good news which will bring great joy, great joy to all people. Great joy. You know, the, the theme of joy is like a sparkling, glittering silver river that runs right through the Gospels. Just page through the Gospels and you'll see joy, joy, joy. Remember that old song that the kids used to sing? With joy my heart is ringing, that one? But the Gospels are just full of it. Let me give you a few examples. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. Mary is pregnant with the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary decides to go and visit Elizabeth and to share how we're preparing for our baby stories. So she goes and records the following. It's, it says, Elizabeth says to her, As I heard your greetings, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Leapt for joy. It, it, it evokes this incredible scene. Here's this little 
little unborn John the Baptist. And through his mom, he's hearing the mother of his, of his Messiah, the one he's going to introduce to the world. And he kind of goes, yes, and starts kicking like crazy, you know. And he leaps for joy. And the baby Jesus grows up to be a man. And he starts to preach, and he preaches the great Sermon on the Mount. And as part of his definitive teaching to humanity, it includes the thing that we call the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are they that. And the last of those Beatitudes is very significant because it's talking about hard times. He's talking about when you're persecuted, when people say all sorts of nasty things about you, and when life is tough. And listen to what he then says. He says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven. So even in the context of hardship and trials and persecution, he's saying, you know, be joyful because, oh, you have so much more. So much more lasting, so much greater, so much more wonderful. And then it goes on in Luke chapter 10 to record how he sends out 72 disciples, two by two. And they come back and they say, wow. Even the demons listen to us. Even the demons obeyed us in your name. So they're very excited. Listen to how that passage ends. It's in Luke chapter 10. It says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. And in the original language, the word full of joy can be probably more literally translated as jump for joy. See the scene again. It's hard to imagine. Now, Jesus was not the somber character. It's as if he leaps into the air and, and sort of fist bumps, you know. Yes! Isn't it wonderful? Yes, the kingdom of God has come. Full of joy. But this crystal stream of joy doesn't end with the Gospels. It goes on in Paul's writings. Now we think of Paul as the severe kind of uh, hard core theologian. No. Listen to some of the things he writes about. In Romans chapter 14, he, verse 17, he says this to the Roman Christians. Now, by the way, listen to this one carefully because it's really applicable to today. Really applicable to about two hours from now. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, <laughs> but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Listen to the three things that Paul, and he was a great theologian under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he picks up three things. He defines the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God isn't this physical thing that he symbolizes with eating and drinking. But he says, no, it's got to do with right standing with God. Righteousness and peace with God and with other men and women. And then the third thing he selects, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy permeates the Christian message. It's one of the pillars of the kingdom of God. It's a joyful thing, not a somber thing. He, by the way, he ends uh, Romans by praying for those Roman Christians as follows. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then at some time he writes the letter to the Philippians, and that letter is actually called the Epistle of Joy. We know it so well. It's got those words, rejoice in the Lord, always. And again I say, 
rejoice? Look, he didn't waste words. He was making a really strong point. He, he repeats it to, to make sure we get it. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. Got me? Again I say. Rejoice. But most telling for me of all of it is how he deals with the Christians in Galatia. You see, the Galatian Christians had fallen into legalism. They had fallen into this rules-based kind of a faith system, which is, you, you know, if you don't work out things correctly, if you don't obey all the tenets of the Old Testament and so on, then, and that was a, a fatal, deadly error that they had fallen into. So the whole of Galatians is addressing that issue. And he says this to them. Again, listen carefully. What has happened to all your good theology? Oh, sorry. I got that wrong. Um, I'm just misreading. What has happened to all your pious good works? I just use these bifocals. He wrote, what has happened to all your joy? What has happened to your joy? Christians, you, you're trying so hard to do right and to tick all the eyes across all, all the T's and dot all the eyes. <laughs> tick the boxes. Yeah. But you're just ticking me off, he says, because, because you're missing the whole essence of this thing. Where's your joy? Where's your joy in the Lord? Where is the joy of your salvation? Okay, I want to spend just five minutes uh, articulating why the gospel is a message of joy. Why it is that this faith that we believe in is so shot through with joy. Let me, let me put it in one sentence. The gospel is joyful. The gospel, the good news, in essence is this. The King of glory, the Prince of heaven, the Lord of light, the creator of all things, the source of all that's good and true, came and was birthed into the human race to bring connection back to the Godhead for us and life everlasting. The God of light stepped into the realm of darkness and of the living dead to bring life. Now, look here. If that's not good news, what the hang is? What is good news if it's not that? That God himself has come to live with us, to bring us redemption and life. And joy. I want to quickly read a passage of scripture which sets out the reasons for our joy. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. I'm going to read it for you. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. Though for now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which though... Um, which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of yourselves. That's why the gospel is such good news. That's why we have cause to be joyful. He says, we are born into a living hope. We are given new birth into a living hope. Look, whatever your theological position aside, every living human being on this planet was born into this planet separated from God. Now the scriptures are really clear on that. We, we are birthed with a spiritual genetic defect. And that's not God's fault. That's because our ancient ancestors said, we want your spot, God. We'll do it ourselves. And in that devastating moment, they were cut off from the very source of life, the very source of power, the very source of knowledge. And every human being comes into life separated from the source of knowledge and life and power. In fact, the whole creation suffers from this. You, you see, human beings were designed by God to be channels, conduits of his life into the very cosmos. We were supposed to tend this cosmos. We were supposed to bring his wisdom into play, his life into play. But as separated beings, we could only bring darkness and destruction and death into play. So the whole of nature groans around us. But in Jesus, we can be connected again. We can be a bauble on the Christmas tree. As Uncle Mark so aptly put it. We can be connected again to the very source of all these things. A great source of joy for us. And it goes on in, and Peter writes, And all of this is through the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. By rising from the dead, Jesus provides the way, the pattern, the template, by which we may know with confidence that we too can live. We could see, we can read through history and say, Huh! He conquered death. He rose from the dead. I too can live on. I too can move past the veil and the portal of death into an eternity with him. But the very good for, news for me is that it, it rests on what Jesus has done. Not what I do. Okay, good news. You don't have to take a big black bag full of tracts and go knock of every door in Lone Hill every Saturday. You just don't have to do that. Because your salvation and mine does not rest on how many tracts we dish out. Or how well we adhere to some man-made set of rules. Or traditions. Jesus has done it already, completely. Now that's good news, isn't it? It's not good news to say to somebody, you've got to work really hard. And then one day, when you get to the pearly gates, then St. Peter's going to look down his list and he's going to say, uh, Name? Go down and you say, nah, sorry. <laughs> no, Jesus has done it. What joy is that? We can be born again into an eternal relationship with the Lord of all. That means that when death comes to us physically as it does to all men, we can hold his hand as we've held it through this life. And we can walk over the portal of death itself and all that changes is that we become closer to him even than we were before. All that changes is that suddenly we see face to face. Suddenly we have an understanding and a level of joy which transcends that which we have now. 
And he calls this a secure inheritance, both now and forever. And then he says, therefore in this we rejoice, despite sufferings, besides grief, despite the things that come upon us. But by the way, only serve to strengthen our faith. If we're not bowed down by them, we get stronger spiritually by them. And despite the fact that we have not seen him with these eyes, or heard him with these ears, or touched him with these hands, we can have absolute confidence that he is as real as the person sitting in front of us. For we do not worship the memory of a dead deity. We are in relationship with the living God. And how silly to think that what we see with our eyes is the only thing in reality around us. Oh no. There's far more than our eyes can see that our minds can comprehend. Yet through faith in Him, we have access to that. But you know, the thing that gives me possibly the greatest joy of all is the fact that as Christians, the only group of people on this planet, we can have an assurance of what the purpose of life actually is. So many people striving for meaning and purpose, acquiring wealth or education, trying to leave behind monuments, you know, books and institutions and whatever. But the purpose of our life is in Christ Jesus, and it's devastatingly simple. It's to come to know Him, know His heartbeat, know His mind, know His character, know what pleases Him, know what saddens Him, to know Him in pain and suffering and joy and success, to walk with Him. The second part of our purpose in life is to to become as much like Him as the Holy Spirit can accomplish through us in this lifetime, as we are transformed by the power of His Word and by the power of His Spirit. We can become beacons of light in this dark land of zombies, where we speak life, do life, be life, and be like Jesus. And the third part of our purpose is we can help others to do likewise, to come to know Him. We call that evangelism. Throw that big word out the window. It's helping people to come to know Him. That's what it is. And then it's helping them to become like Him. And then it's helping them to reproduce that by going out and helping others. That's our purpose. I am absolutely confident that when we stand before Jesus one day, as we will, what He is going to be interested in is, how much do you know me, my son? How well do you know me? How have you evidenced me through, your, through the power of the Spirit? How have you helped others to know me and to become like me? So this is the essence of the Christian message. This is the thing that we celebrate today on Christmas Day. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let heaven, let earth rejoice. And then that extra few lines that Chris Tomlin puts in, which I just love, where he says, joy, unspeakable joy, an overflowing well. No tongue can ever tell. Joy, unspeakable joy, rises in my soul. Never lets me go. The joy of our salvation. I ask the music group to come and join us, and I ask them to sing that again. Because we need to sing that again, because it's just a wonderful carol that's been modernized a little. But let me pray. Father, thank you so much that we can come to this day, this Christmas day. There's such a wealth of understanding with your word 
open in our hands that helps us to see this wonderful thing that you've done for humankind. Thank you that we have life in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we have 2,000 years of your church on earth to set us on the path towards Jesus. Thank you that you, Holy Spirit, are ministering throughout our lives and through this world to point us constantly to Jesus and to say, there he is. He is your vine. He is your purpose. He is your reason for living. Our joy, unspeakable joy, an overflowing will that no tongue can adequately tell. Thank you, Father. Amen.